Hello and welcome, Duck fans. Where, whenever you're watching or listening, this is the Once a Duck podcast where we bring you up to date with current and former University of Oregon athletes and give you never before heard stories about your favorite teams and moments in duck history. And yeah, we're coming off a hard Stanford loss and uh, we have a bye week, but we're still bringing you great brand new Once a Duck content, a fantastic guest and uh well, we're going we're gonna to help you get over the game. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Nick Cody, former offensive lineman for the Ducks, at Just Follow 6-1 is where you can find me. My co-host, as always, who was at the game, at Samuel101TS, Samuel Tidrick-Smith. Man, ah, rough game. I think uh, the greatest thing we can do for our fans is just, just move on, have another episode, and, and kind of recap our thoughts for them. Sam, what do you think? I think it's fair. I think the – I'm a big fan of when you feel something on the inside, the best thing you can do is get it out. So I think we, we really should just take a minute to get all of our feelings out, maybe just together. Fair. Let's uh, put that on a clock for like 10 seconds. Just uh, let everyone know how you feel. Ready and go. I think that uh, that's all right. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to broadcast any of that, but thankfully None. we'll get over that. We will get over that with our handy dandy, trusty swear jar. So I'm just going to, Sam, you make your donation whenever. I'm just going to. Uh, uh, you know what? It's just take, take everything I have. Take an expired Safeway card. Take an expired Starbucks card. Take all my cash. Take, take my wallet. I don't care. Take my wallet. It, it, uh, take it all. I don't care. Take your entire podcast background with you. For those of you that Honestly. are watching on YouTube, uh, for those of you that are listening right now, we still appreciate you. You're probably very concerned and confused about what just happened right now, but we're all okay. We're going to move on. Uh, in fact, we're going to move on right exactly to our lightning yellow round where we're going to talk about um, kind of our personal events that led up to uh, Saturday's loss. I think we both recognize pretty early, Sam, that, uh, we were both a little bit frustrated early on Saturday, so I'm going to set the clock. We've got two minutes to talk about it. You start us off. Well, I was definitely using the swear jar early and often on Saturday as I tried to send our Once a Duck VIPs a fun video from outside the stadium. Unfortunately, the internet wasn't working, and I kind of might have freaked out about it a little bit. Yeah, and I, I knew that because I was uh, furiously uh, caught in an Uber uh, that was one of the most terrifying rides of my life. If uh, you saw on Twitter, there was uh, Dexter level plastic and at least a breathing hole through the back. So that was a little concerning. So that's what I knew to, that day wasn't wasn't quite working out already. What, what happened next? Oh, well, you know, Nick, it's on the way heading on the way when I'm when I'm getting ready to watch the game. And I'd been texting my buddy beforehand and everybody seemed good. But then when you're just watching the players enter and uh, you see players that you expected to play and earlier that day said they were ready to play suddenly coming out in street clothes, that, uh, that wasn't a good sign. Yeah. I know your buddy Alex Forsyth there was uh, having some back issues that day and he wasn't the only one. When I heard about coach Moorhead on Twitter, I know I reached out to you and, and our prayers go out to coach Moorhead and thoughts and hope he's doing well, but uh, we didn't know at the time he was in surgery. We just knew that he was there at the game. And I think that's a, uh, you know, that's when the pressure started to get me a little more nervous about Stanford. That was, that was definitely just in a very uncomfortable thing. And I'll, I'll tell you, it was 
talking to the Stanford fans, they were all just so friendly. It, it made me nervous. It made me nervous how friendly they all were and how nice they were just because I felt if you're being this nice now, there's, there's got the other shoes going to drop and boy, did it. Yeah. And with 20 seconds left, uh, I was at Aussies in Seattle, which, uh, you know, I've been there for some good wins, some hard losses, but uh, I knew when I got there and the floors were still sticky from the night before, uh, I was a little nervous. 10 seconds left, Sam. Um, I got sunburnt. I don't know. It was hot. Oh, I'll close it out. Uh, I think, well, a little overtime, but uh, yeah, I knew we were really in trouble when it went to overtime and the Nebraska fans were already trying to flood in. And uh, the most annoying guy there was uh, loudly screaming, go big rich! like he was in the Goonies, but you know, Nebraska version. So it was, uh, it was pretty frustrating there, especially as the last few minutes uh, ticked away off the clock and uh, last three flags were thrown. That was uh yeah, well, we've got it all out of our systems, at least in terms of frustrations, I think. Now, what can we do? We can sit here since we don't have an opponent to analyze. We can sit back and talk a little bit about what we should have done. Let's start quarterback position. Now, there's been a lot of talk about do we make a change now? Coach Moorhead out. I don't know how realistic that is. I would like to first and foremost point that out. But at this point, um, you have to think about the rest of the season and weigh it in on what you really think this team is capable of, particularly with the amount of injuries we're dealing with right now and currently. And uh, what we didn't also add to that uh, lightning yellow round was uh, Bennett Williams, uh, you know, getting injured on a Friday through a fast Friday walkthrough. Uh, no one was expecting that, especially after the, you know, coming out party he just had against Arizona. It was, uh, it was a pretty troubling day, but where we move on from here is going to be all dependent on, on next man up. And we might be seeing that at the quarterback position, Sam, what, what do you think? I've really, I've really, really, really tried to play this one down the middle all season. I really have. I've really tried to sit there and say, you know what? They're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to make the best. I, I recently went back and rewatched the interview we did with, with Jeff Schwartz who I think brought up a, an extremely, an extremely poignant perspective, which was he believes this year was, wasn't ever going to be the year for the ducks. It, it was the next year, the year after that, that the 22, 23 potential he loved the trip to trip to Athens or to Atlanta, excuse me, not actually going to Athens trip to Atlanta. Then after that, all your hardest, all your hardest pack 12 games would be in Austin stadium that would kind of be the year to look forward to. You got seven games left on the schedule. You got two options. You can continue to play the, I believe, sixth-year senior at this point who has shown you what he can do. You know exactly where the ceiling is. You know exactly where the floor is. Or you can use those seven games, bring in somebody who you have no idea where either is, but – it might be worth getting them that look before you have to take getting ready for what could be that year next year or the year after. To me, yeah. well, there's been a lot of comparison made. I've heard there's been a lot of comparison over the last couple of days to 2016 where Oregon started with a veteran quarterback, eventually made a move about halfway through the season to get a younger guy out there. And although the rest of that season didn't go terrifically, it ended up, kind of working in Oregon's favor long-term to get him the reps and the looks. 
you're right with Moorhead out. It's going to be very difficult to make a move like that because you want the guy who's orchestrating and designing your offense to probably be the guy to really be instrumental in pulling that trigger. But I think it's hard to look at some of the things that went down on Saturday and not think that something like that might be necessary. Yeah. Well, taking into consideration all things, and as I try to be uh, play uh, Skip Bayless to your Shannon Sharp, uh, I, I would like to point out that some of the throws were drops early on that killed the momentum of certain drives and particularly led to Stanford getting an early lead. And I really thought and believed that uh, we were doing a great job coming out and making adjustments, which we can say for this team hasn't always been first and foremost, you know, one of our strengths. So I was really impressed by that. Obviously the, uh, the speed option at the goal line, we've talked about it last week and, and how I feel about it personally. And I know everybody, I, I, I'm sure Jeff Schwartz disagrees with me. I think he likes it, but I've always gotten nervous with that. And uh, sometimes we find ourselves as players trying to play, not to lose rather than to win. And that's what I feel like I see when we're scared to pitch the ball on a speed option, if it was a speed option, because looking at the blocking design of the play, there was no hole. There was no read, man. We were collapsing down and it felt like pitch it out, score. And in fact, you know what? In fact, down there, I'd take three points. Just get the point. Sometimes your stubbornness and trying to stick to something too much is just going to come back to haunt you. And I think it did in this case. Now, the other thing that's haunting us, well, two other things that haunted us in this game, injuries and folks removed because of referee targeting calls and other calls. And um, the targeting call that I think a lot of people quickly forgot that had probably the biggest impact was on the kickoff. Triquiz Bridges being a six foot three corner against Stanford was something that you needed to rely on. Because that's how that's exactly what Stanford did. They kind of out physical us at the end and they threw the flag on the wrong guy. But it was all because the Stanford receiver generated contact. And when you create that question in the referee's mind, you put it up there for doubt and it they they threw it and made it against the defense. So lots of stuff we can still break down, go over for days. But hey, I I am truly a believer that we have to trust this coaching staff what they see in practice. And if Anthony Brown is still the guy, uh, I expect it at least to be on a very short leash, especially going, you know, next week uh, into a Friday game with Cal. And that's the absolute truth is that no matter how much we talk about it, we watch it, we look at it. The people in that room will always know more than us. Well, we'll yeah. happily share our opinions. They do know more than we do. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And of course, whoever is back there, regardless of number, regardless of age, you're, we're always still rooting for the same results. That's well, that that and they they have much more to take into consideration than we think about as fans. Game to game, we're thinking, how do we get this win? How do we get to the playoffs? These coaches have to look so much bigger picture, and especially with this team and all the people that have had to step up and play young. Who is going to redshirt? Whose red shirts are we burning? That's another thing about the quarterback position. I think right now you have to weigh out because getting another year from a guy, uh, you know, especially if you see in the film room and on the field, he just might not be ready yet. And you don't want to hurt that confidence early in their development. I think it's not necessarily a bad move waiting, but when you have the quarterback room, we do. And you look over at the success Oregon state is having right now without necessarily success at the quarterback position, at least not consistent um, success there. 
I think, uh, man, you have to at least start thinking of playing more than one guy and fans have to consider that maybe that's going to stagger throughout the season based on the new red shirt rules where you can play four games, but if you go over that, your red shirts burn. So I think that's got to be considered too long-term. And I think for the, the, the long-term success and health of the program, but again, the other, the other thing to consider is with the transfer portal, how relevant is it giving someone a red shirt, particularly if they're a little disgruntled with that red shirt. So I wonder that about our quarterback room too, but all I know is that we couldn't have had a bye week at a better time. If you are going to make a change, that's a great time to at least get those reps out there or, or at least, you know, a great thing you can do with a few extra days on bye week. Of course, you got to give guys a little more time to rest. Sometimes you give people an opportunity to go home, probably not with a Friday game, but you've got to get back in the practice field. And on that practice field, you've got to challenge guys to know that, Hey, if we're not getting it done, some jobs are going to be on the line. And that's how you create competition on the practice field. And Nick, I think I'm going to do something here that I don't think is ever been done on any Oregon like Ducks based podcast period. I'm about to give Oregon state a little bit of credit here. The slightest, bit, the slightest bit. You ready? You ready? It hurts me. I'm hurting myself right here. I'm hurting myself right here. Nolan has looked like the best quarterback in the state. He has uh, from Oregon, the Oregon state games I've watched number 10 out there in orange has looked like the best quarterback in the state. Credit where, yeah, do it. I know. I understand. It's fair. And you see my face. Got you, buddy. You see my uncomfortableness saying this. If that is the case, at the clip that Oregon has been recruiting, just pure play, how they've looked, he, he gets that nod, man. He's looked good up there. It's hard for me to say, come on, Oregon. Come on, Oregon. I, I, need, I need this Ducks team to be willing to say, hey, wait, the, the little brother 45 minutes up north is number one in the north right now, which at the time of this recording, absolutely the case. Number one in the north right now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you got to be able to look at that and, if necessary, adjust based on it. Well, and I think with the young talent we have at receiver and, and some veteran guys there, especially that doesn't seem we're distributing the ball too well enough, man, with CJ, what looks like could be a long-term injury. Um, I, I think at some point you have to, if you don't think Stanford was just a hiccup um, and, and it, it could be very well be, because it sounds like from the series of circumstances that happened to that team that day, I can't imagine being on the road in the Bay area and then having to know, you know, our centers out, that's your point calls right there. That's everybody coordinating someone in the, something in the run game. And, you know, being able to shuffle things around with, uh, you know, the, the depth and talent we have out there and getting Jackson powers, Johnson, his first start, like it's great that he we have great, that ability still yes he had flashes where absolutely he's out there especially I, I love the athleticism of these guys pulling now because we used to do it and we looked like athletes but I think that's because you know LaMichael Kenyon those guys would slow down and give us a moment to get that those guys are just out there barreling people want to get that out of the way real quick but even with that shuffling the communication to the perimeter and 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 just the the five as one of the offensive line that is going to be affected when you make a change at center no matter what even if it's your backup is just right there it's just a little different the timing is a little different everything starts at the center 
and then works outwards. So it's really important. That's why I wondered on that, you know, that fourth down play, like, did we miscommunicate where we were working with? Cause it didn't look like we had a read guy or that there should be any reason we didn't pitch the ball. That was so confusing to me. And again, young guys out there that those kind of things can happen and have a much more tremendous impact and make someone like the quarterback look a lot worse when maybe, you know, for all we know, maybe his read guy was completely taken away and you have that split second. What do I do? Well, sometimes you play from a fear of failure. And uh, I know in my career, my senior year, especially, I played a lot of times just to not make a mistake. And when you're playing like that on the football field, that's when you can either get more hurt because you're not playing it a hundred percent, or it's when you make a mental error because you don't just react. You think too much. That's, that's what I see a lot from these young guys out here. And even again, from occasionally our six year quarterback. So, you know, there's, there's no excuses for uh, putting ourselves in that position to give Stanford the early lead, but obviously we got to still see if that was just a bad day or a sign of things to come. And I think it's a little bit of both. I think obviously it was, it was a bad day. It was a bad day in terms of it was just hotter than it needed to be. It was a bad day in terms of people were going down with weird things that you didn't expect them to. As we said, a 24 hour time span, probably three horrific things or not three bad things happened within this program that they were not expecting to happen. Those are circumstances that probably won't take the place all the time. They probably, yeah. you also probably well, won't be dealing with a six, seven, 225 pound quarterback who is deadly accurate and real smart to every single game. But that, Nick, actually, uh, I had a question for you. If yeah, you have something to say, go for it. But I did have a question. No, go ahead. Go ahead. So, from your offensive line perspective, one thing that I at least definitely noticed throughout that ball game was as Oregon began, and especially in the second half, when they looked much, much better, specifically on defense, they were really able to finally get to the quarterback. They weren't able to at all in the first half, really. In the second half, they were finally able to get there and create some pressure. From an offensive line perspective, how can an Oregon be able to create that pressure from the jump? And how can they keep a quarterback who is a big, strong guy who hasn't thrown a pick all year? How do you get him uncomfortable early as opposed to waiting until the fourth quarter? Well, number one, Stanford was pretty smart and they were pretty decisive about when they wanted to spread Oregon out and when they wanted to keep guys in and particularly chip off cave on Thibodeau, you know, give a little bit of extra help there. But you know, with Swinton out uh, and then Kayvon Thibodeau getting ejected for targeting, we had a, a very, and I mean, honestly, even guys that were still in the game still weren't playing at 100%. What we've gotten a lot is uh, Popo and uh, Doorless have really been just working and improving week to week. And I think, you know, inside, they're two of the best interior defensive linemen in the Pac-12 right now that aren't getting recognized just because necessarily like the statistics aren't there but we're getting some pressure inside it's really right now it's been so hard with uh, the injuries at defensive end and uh, obviously you know the the Kayvon Thibodeau not playing at 100% and not being on the field as much as we'd like to see it's been very hard one of the things you can really do and it's it, it, with young guys the timing is going to be hit or miss but against good offensive linemen, what you got to do is create games and stunts up front. And I thought it actually started working towards the end. In fact, we, you know, we, we, we've seen on Twitter, the, the play where the ref has his flag out, the whole offensive line looks like they fall start and have a, everybody's standing there like it's a free play, but no defensive line encroached at any point. They just shifted. And you see those little kinds of things, especially we saw against Fresno state, how much problem that created for our pass protection. So things you can do, 
that are, uh, you know, and if you saw the Tampa Bay game this weekend, there was the two Washington guys that just ran a perfect TE stunt, which is essentially the tackle defensive tackle is going to take like a three technique rush outside the guard and just try and bury himself into the offensive tackle, which takes the guard with him. And then you pull the defensive end around and inside. And if you happen to be not working against the slide protection right there, which means the center's coming with his eyes inside to help immediately, you're going to get right to the quarterback and you're going to be able to light them up. And Mac Jones just took a big, big hit right there. And uh, it was all because uh, Vita Vea, it really, you know, he didn't have any real actual pressure on the quarterback, but he took two linemen out. That's the kind of stuff you need to do and that you need to actually have some freaks up front to do, which if your depth is hurting and you're playing a tight end that has one catch this season over there at defensive end, it's going to be tough. It absolutely will. And I think we've, Probably depressed our listeners enough reflecting back on that game. One thing I will say is that I can tell you from sitting in the stands, watching them catch the touchdown at the end of regulation, there was a very foreboding feeling that came over me because I've always been a big, big supporter of the idea of whoever wants overtime wins overtime. Whoever's happier to be there, whoever's like, oh my gosh, we get more time as opposed to, wait, we have to do some more of this. That team always maybe not 99% of the time wins that game and we saw yet again the team that won it overtime won overtime but mm -hmm. moving on from what's clearly been a depressing weekend I'll ask you I'm sure we'll ask our guest a little later on about something very similar but in your experience you've had some rough losses to Stanford in your career 09 2012 oh. How is it that you're able to bounce back from a game like that and really be able to turn the page on such a game? Well, I know my senior year, I didn't. I know that uh, honestly, from there, I stopped going to classes. Uh, once we lost our really opportunity to go to the national championship, and uh, I felt like a lot of that was on me and some of my health and some of how I played in that game. I know that I spent more time in the treatment room and quit, quit going to some of my classes. And I know that that, that Stanford loss really took a long time for me to compartmentalize and, uh, you know, just really put in, in the rear view for me and learn from, uh, you know, we went out and obviously had a, a good game against Oregon state the next week, got a win. And then the Fiesta Bowl went, but I was somewhat checked out at that point because it was just that one took it out of me. And again, like I talked about, and I think like you kind of just articulated, it was a fear of failure more than I it was to succeed. I was scared of not living up to the expectations I had set for myself the season before. And uh, I was very, very just distraught about not being able to be out there every rep at 100% and uh, not being able to. And I felt like I let my team down. Now, when I go back and look at the film of that game, I'm like, I... I don't know if there's anything I could have done to change the outcome of that game, even at a hundred percent, just the way that it was schemed up the way that night happens. But like you said, if you are afraid of overtime, if you are getting nervous, just going into it, the outcome, just like that game, it doesn't, doesn't feel good going in and it usually doesn't feel good coming out. That's how I felt when I was at the 2018 Stanford game. You just get that feeling in your gut where it's like they have the momentum, you know, I, that you should win the game, but it just gets and until you can learn as a player to overcome that feeling. And I think that 2019 was good. That will, that's what was great about our team is we had to learn that from the very first game against Boise state, we had to take a, uh, 
gut punch for lack of a better word and uh, uh, kind of turn that around into a Rose Bowl season, man. And I think there's, there's things you go through where these moments happen and they can be a, 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 a building moment, a, a fundamental block in your story as a team. And we had many of those under Chip Kelly. And as our guest is about to tell us, there's been a ton of those in Oregon history that we've just had to keep building on. And the key is to not look back and think that we should have won this or we were entitled to win this. It's about how do we get it next time? How do we make sure we're better prepared that next Bay Area trip next year we go to Cal? We got to think about that Stanford game. And the year after that, we got to think about it when we go to Stanford. And you got to pass those things on, even if you aren't going to be with the team. And we've got some great ambassadors in Oregon football to come do that. It's all on, you know, the coaching staff to preach those things and make sure they aren't forgotten. You know, you got to move on from the bad tape, the bad calls, but you got to remember that feeling and how you never want to have it happen again and it's got to light a fire for you it absolutely does and just as a as a, as a counter uh as the not a counter actually the opposites the opposite uh way of doing it but the exact same point 2018 later in that season you're right Oregon lost to Stanford in that overtime game Stanford wanted it more they hit the field goal to get there just like how Oregon won the overtime game against Washington after Washington missed field goals they felt like they should have hit they didn't want to be there. Oregon did. Oregon was able to win in overtime. They wanted to be there more. It's, it's just a, it's it, it, almost any sport. You find that to be the case. Whoever's happier to be there ends up getting that win. But I think you're completely right when you say it really does just come down to how you're able to compartmentalize it, put it away, put it to bed. They say that some of the best athletes, they've got short memories for a reason. It's because they're able to put down what just happened, move on to the next thing. And I think that's all what we're all hoping Oregon will do. Well, it's what we're going to do right now. Let's do it. Let's bring on maybe what I think is uh, our best guest, at least highest profile, an ambassador of Oregon football, Joey Heisman himself, Joey Harrington, quarterback for the University of Oregon Ducks. With us today, we have number three in your old programs, number one in your hearts, and our second quarterback we've had on Once a Duck after Achilles Smith, Joey Harrington. Thank you so much for coming on with us, especially when you're recovering from knee surgery, man. Uh, we hate to we hate to bug you while you're trying to recover and get everything going, but man, we couldn't be happier because you've been one of the most requested guests we've had since we started this podcast. Well, uh, to be honest, you know, I'm I'm just sitting around and you know, not like I got anything else going on, right? You know, <laughs> what can I do? You know, but no, I'm thrilled. I, it's um, it's fun to be able to reconnect with this duck community, right? I mean, it's I've been gone long enough. To, I mean, it's. 20 years um, since that Fiesta Bowl. And a lot of stuff happens in 20 years. So yeah. <laughs> it's nice, you know, it's, it's, it's been pretty recently that I've been able to reconnect with, um, you know, a lot of the old guys, the George Reisters, the Sammy Parkers, um, you know, guys that I haven't seen and uh, heard from in a while. And so, you know, when I, when I heard you were doing this, I was actually thinking to myself, God, I wonder if we'll reach out. So perfect. Oh. That's awesome, man. Yeah, we've been thinking about reaching out for a long time. And before we delve into your career, I think no one's been happier about you reconnecting with everybody than Duck Twitter. And uh, it's been really exciting. I've loved seeing all your responses and, uh, you know, so much of the feedback we've been getting is, uh, yeah, you've got to get Joey on now. You got to get him. We've been like, yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. But uh, what what has been kind of the, the evolution of Duck fans that you've at least seen from your time being a Duck to now to just 
It seems like we've gone from just, you know, a local Pacific West Coast brand to just exploding to a national brand. And what's it like been for been like for you, at least to see that? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's a pretty. If I'm going to answer that whole question, it'll, it'll take the, the better part of an hour. But <laughs> yeah. I will say because you're right, it, it's it's been a huge evolution. I mean, it's been a it's been a progress. People talk about, oh, well, you know, things changed in, you know, in 2001 with your Fiesta Bowl. No, 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 no. Things changed when Bill Musgrave came in 86, right? That, that was when those first pieces started moving. So we're talking about a 96, 06, 16, 20. I mean, we're a 35 year, you know, evolution to get to where we are right now. Um, and where we are right now is, we have a different set of expectations. And I think that's tough for, I think it's tough for some people to deal with who have been attached to the program for so long, who remember the days when, um, you know, when a bowl game was just, you know, all right, we're there. Uh, but so much of what Oregon has become and the new fan base, the younger fan base that we've brought in has to do with that success, has to do with that brand, has to do with that, you know, it's more than just an attachment to the university. It's, it's the uniforms, it's the marketing, it's the Chip Kelly, um, you know, reinventing college football offense. It's Marcus Mariota, the Heisman Trophy winner. It's, I mean, you, you, there's a lot in the last decade that have really brought a, a lot of new people into the fold and, and they don't know any different. And I think it's, it's, it's nice to see the two kind of coexist because you're right there at our core, we are still a, a program that cares about local. And that's what was so great about, you know, the Bilotti, you know, Rich Brooks, Bilotti coaching staff, you know, that turned into Chip Kelly and Helfridge is those guys have been around for 20, 30, 30 years and they got it right. They understood that, but they also experienced the success. And so, um, yeah, it, it, I was honestly a little nervous when when Willie up and left and, you know, when we moved on from Mark that that it would take a different turn and we would become the programs that are, you know, year after year looking for that answer that we thought, you know, that greener grass that we thought was on the other side, whether it's Nebraska or Texas or, you know, Michigan when they fired Lloyd Carr, like all these programs that were so that were there thought there was something better on the other side and lost what they were at the core. And so with Mario, I'm, I'm really happy to see that he's embraced that. And he's done a really nice job of meshing the two of that foundation, that community core with those expectations of being in the national discussion every year. Joey, you mentioned a lot of these newer, or younger duck fans. I myself kind of fall into that category, being an Oregon student now, becoming a Duck fan like the mid-2000s when I was really starting to get a grasp of sports and all of that. So I've got a little bit of a slight perspective on, okay, I understood a little bit of what I was being told at the time when I was first becoming a fan, but I've seen everything since. How would you relate or how would you explain what Oregon football really was even during your era or before that when you were growing up watching it? How would you explain that? to someone who is of this kind of newer fan base, someone who might be in my shoes or even a little bit younger? Oregon football was an afterthought. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, it didn't, it didn't exist um, for the community that wasn't immediately tied to that university, right? It, it was, 
you know, because, you know, if, if you're asking to go back, you know, the, the Bill Musgrave when he came in in 86, um, you know, they went to a bowl game in 89 was the first bowl game, I believe, the Independence Bowl. And I could be mixing up 88, 89, 90. There's a couple in there. But that, that first Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana, I mean, you, you'd have thought that it was, it was a national championship game. I mean, we bought more tickets. We, I mean, the university pre-sold tickets to go to a freezing Shreveport, Louisiana. I mean, it was, it was like 23 degrees. And I may be exaggerating a little bit, but it was cold and raining sideways and windy and just awful. But Oregon fans were so happy to be there. And growing up in that environment, you it's kind of part of you, right? Every year, like there was a stretch of 20 years. Let's, let's put it in perspective here. The 20 years prior to Kenny Wheaton's pick, 1994. So 84, you know, I was alive for, you know, 15, 16 of those years. Oregon was two and 18. The 20 years after that pick, Oregon was 17 and three. And I may be flipping those, but there is this residual. There is this, I don't want to call it less feeling of less than that is ingrained that's built in. But even when we were at the peak of our success, you know, at that 2000, 2001, where we became, you know, the first teams in school history to win back-to-back conference championships. There was still this feeling that, that we didn't quite belong, right? From the outside looking in. And that was what I was working so hard to try and change. We were the new kids. We were like, ah, these new fun guys from Oregon. It's like, oh, you know, Hey, welcome to the party, guys. See how long you last. You know, when's your train leaving? You know, that, that's why, that's honestly, in, in, in part, I think why in the end, Nebraska, you know, the tried and true blue blood of college football was taken over us in that, in that national championship game to play against uh, Miami because we were too new. We didn't have the respect of everybody. So when people who, you know, like you, who only know success get disappointed after a loss, it's difficult for people on the, the opposite end of that to say, you know, without sounding like, oh, I walked uphill both ways to school, you know, put, you know, shove newspaper in, my, in, in, in the holes in my, in my socks. It's, it's difficult for people to understand that because we're not, we're not that far separated from truly, I mean, Let's talk about the zero-zero tie with 13 missed field goals or, or, you know, five missed field goals and 13 fumbles against Oregon State. I mean, a zero-zero tie, they call it the toilet bowl in 1983. We're not that far removed from that. And our ascension to this, you know, and I'll say it, we're not truly at the top of college football yet. We're close. We've had opportunities. But we're not there yet, but we're in that discussion. Our ascension to that point has happened so quickly and it has happened at a rate that is just so much faster than everything else that I think it's difficult for, for people in that toilet bowl generation to really grasp that this is a different program and the expectations are different. And yeah, um, you know, is it the end of, end of the world if you lose a game? No. But when you're trying to win a national championship, man, it sucks. 
Well, speaking of national championship, I was very fortunate to be in that era that transitioned from kind of going from holiday bowls with Mike Bellotti's last year to getting to go to two Rose Bowls and national championship and a Fiesta Bowl. And for sure. me, for me, I, I chip brought in a lot of great guests, but my two favorite had to be Jerry Rice and yourself, because like you've already proven, you are a true historian of Oregon football for all the former players around. And I just remember, uh, I, I think it was the national championship season, but I just remember so many guys that came in with me and recruits and guys we've had on this show that really didn't understand even coming in that Oregon really was always on that peripheral for so long. If you knew, and knew anything about local football and, and just for us to be in that prominent position, you made it really matter that much more that season. And I, th I, I think it really contributed the guys making every single game that season count and as close as we got against Auburn I think that was that was a huge part of you know all the the foundation that was built by your teams and as you said way before that going back to Musgrave so what was it like for you to come back to the program you know 10 years later and and talk to the team and and why does what you know why was it so important for you to to teach us all those things um you know, I, I've had a chance to come back. You're right. Yeah. And talk with Chip's team and yep. talk with Mario's team. And I'm very much a believer in uh, the idea that in order to get to where you want to go, you have to know from where you came. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you don't truly understand, and, and nobody ever will because you haven't experienced it, right? You know, I can sit here and tell you, you know, over and over like, oh, you know, back in the day, we, you know, we didn't have a Mashovsky Center and we didn't have a Hatfield Dallin and oh, you guys are so lucky. That's not the point. The point is not to take something for granted because like I said a minute ago, we're not that far removed. And honestly, we're only a couple decisions away from falling back into that that, that pool of irrelevance. And that's why I was so nervous when they were deciding to move on from Helfridge. It wasn't because, you know, I, I well, I'm not gonna speak about, I can't speak about his coaching ability because I wasn't in that locker room. I think he's a fantastic guy. I think he's a great football coach. Things didn't work out. But what scared me the most was the idea that we thought we deserved more than we were getting. And the moment you think you deserve more is the moment you overstep, is the moment you, is the moment, frankly, you get caught by that, by, by a right hook that sends you sideways and you can't recover, right? My fear was that by moving on from Helfridge, you move on to somebody who's simply using Oregon as a stepping stone to get to somewhere else. What happened? Willie Taggart comes in and uses Oregon as a stepping stone to get back to his school of Florida State. And now what do we do? We're sitting there, we're holding our, you know, we're holding our jock sharp saying, oh man. And so my point of earlier of following history and understanding that Nebraska moved on from Frank Solich after a nine and three season and winning the Big 12. Michigan moved on from Lloyd Carr after a 10 and two season and winning the big 10. Texas has gone through coach after coach, after coach, after coach, what they on their fourth or fifth after Mac Brown and all those schools thought they deserved more. They weren't happy. And it, it's different. It's different 
being unhappy with, with what is happening right now is different than thinking that I deserve something different, something more. And so that's what it is for me when, that's why it's so important for me to be able to relay that information to students on the team now, um, to fans, you know, Sam, like, like you who are new to the game is because we are true. Like what you are experiencing right now is not normal and is not given for 90% of the college football universe, right? You can look at Ohio state and Alabama, um, you know, Clemson for the last five, six years, but really look at the programs that have had sustained success over decades. And there are only a handful. The rest of them are sitting in this bucket over here. It's like, God, I want to get back up. And so that's why I, I truly believe it's important to know, to know your history, to know the history of, of what is happening so that you can make better, not better choices, but so that you can own that. And that can be part of your narrative and can be part of why you work and part of what you work for, as opposed to thinking, man, I deserve better than this. Because nine times out of 10, when you have that attitude, you end up in the also rams. You end up in the pot of dang, grass wasn't always greener and I wish I could be back to where I was. Joe, you mentioned history, and you got to be a part of a lot of it. There's obviously big games, big moments, big plays, but one piece of history that I hear attributed to you a lot, and I can't say for sure if you were the very first human to do this, but I choose to believe in my realm of reality that you were, and it's this. It's that. It's just putting your hands together and making that O. Tell us the story of <laughs> that moment, that beautiful picture that everybody's seen a million times of you doing that with a big smile on your face. What, what was that moment and look what it's grown into and, and what, do you, what do you feel about just how something so simple has become something that is so universal? Okay, first of all, what I'm feeling, I feel like I wish I would have trademarked it, okay? That's what I'm feeling because I, there's something in the bank account that could, you know, like, like that old, like it's an annuity that just keeps on trickling in, right? That's what I'm thinking first of all. Second, I was not the first. I believe that I was the first football player, okay? And there's a difference. Here's what happened. I'm a, I'm a musician. I've played the piano for, you know, since I was four years old. You know, those couple years when um, I wasn't playing red shirt, watching Akili play, and, um, you know, I'd watch the band, and, you know, you know how you do on the sidelines. You know, Nick, you just kind of hang out, and it's like when you're young, it's like, oh, cool. Hey, look over there in the student section. Oh, that's pretty funny. Oh, the band's playing this. I got to know the band being a musician. You know, I got to play with uh, the Green Garter band in the off season and some fun concerts. And I, and I always had that connection to music. And so imagine you're the band director and there's 46,000 people screaming after a touchdown, which I will say the old Otson was louder than the new Otson. Just put it out there. And you can't exactly say, hey, flute section, let's play the fight song. You know, nobody's going to hear you. So what do you do? You signal the songs. A, T, you know, I, whatever it is. Hula. Oh, that was how the band director signaled the fight song. And so after um, our, and he'd hold it up. So he'd hold up the O, you know, one, two, one, two, three. And that's how he'd count it. Bum, 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 and, then it, and then the band would come in because they, you know, they, you kind of hear them, you know, ah, and they get their eyes zoomed, and then bam, and he counts it off. 
So I'm coming off the field after the Oregon state game, last home game. Um, I played like dog, you know, dog stuff. It's raining sideways. You know, we went on a, on a Keenan takes a punt back and then Rashad intercepts the ball to, to end it. And I mean, it was just pouring down rain. And all I want to do is just stand out there. And I just want to, you know, enjoy those last couple minutes. And I'm walking up the side up the tunnel and the band is right there. And I just stopped and I got the attention of one of the, you know, clarinets or whoever was down in the corner. And I was just like, Hey, Oh, Oh. And they just started passing that along, you know? So they took it from one and they passed it to the next, you passed it to the next, you, passed, you know, and soon enough, you know, the, the band director had gotten the signal and I was standing there just please just play the fight song. And that's when everybody started taking pictures as I, and that's that picture coming up as I'm standing like that, looking up at the band, try, you know, as you know, Nick, as it starts to kind of slant down before you mm -hmm. go up the tunnel, you know, all the photographers are down below. And that was the first time um, that it really made it into, you know, it was on the front page of the register guard or the Oregonian or, or whatever it was. Um, and then it kind of became a little thing. And I did it again at the Fiesta Bowl, um, just kind of, you know, at the end is something fun and, you know, go away to Detroit for a couple of years and come back and everybody's, you know, oh, before kickoff, I was like, God, why didn't I do something about that? Oh, man. So I, I can't now and I always forget and I'm, it, I do this every time. I forget the band director's name, but I believe he is the band, he has left and is now the band director at West Albany High School. So, um, yeah, shoot. I know I could figure it out, but that's where he is right now. So he wow. is the one who started the O. I may have been the one who started it uh, on the field. Yeah, that's incredible. And uh, thank you. I mean, who, who would have guessed? But uh, you're not only responsible for that, Joey. I think you might be responsible for the first time I really started taking interest in duck football. Growing up, I was mostly an NFL fan. Uh, I always cheered along with the Packers. My dad was a Cowboys fan. We loved to just root against each other. And uh, I remember specifically when I really started getting interested in football, it was the year 2000. And I started thinking, hey, I'm, I'm a pretty big kid. I'm getting pretty good at this. But I remember two things from that year specifically was the replacements and you in the Holiday Bowl. And for some reason, like my young mind always infused those things. And it reminded me so much of that the other day on Twitter when you said you would have Keanu play you in the <laughs> Joey Harrington biopic because I was just like, yes, I want to see that movie. I've always wanted to see that movie. What's it like for you, number one, having so many iconic moments, but especially in that Holiday Bowl game with one of the best catches I've ever seen in Oregon history, like what an athlete, man. That was just movie perfect. And, and, and expand a little bit on the Keanu comparison there. Okay. So the Keanu thing came from, so Tim Shear was a linebacker with me. He ended up having a, uh, it was Gatorade uh, um, high school player of the year in Oregon out of Junction City. A fantastic player. Ended up having to cut his career short with, with concussions. But I will never forget that the first day I walked into the locker room, he was there, you know, before me. And he looks and, you know, I hadn't met the guy before. And he just kind of looked at me as like, dude excellent he's like what he's like have you not seen that movie like, what bill and ted he's like yeah you look like you look like that too and i was like all right fine and then he'd already played a quarterback so I, that was just the twitter response it was like that so that's kind of ingrained in my mind in terms of the holiday bowl um here's what happened on that play it's very kind of you to say all those wonderful um things about my athletic ability. I will contradict every single one of them, except for one, okay? So 
Jeff Tedford, who is the master at formationing defenses into the coverage he wanted. And he says, look, when I put us in this formation, they are 100% of the time going to play man. Nobody is going to account for you. And this defensive end is such a hard crasher on a, <laughs> on a switch, the, on a sweep going the other direction that you will break contain and there'll be nobody there. So he, we designed it up <clears throat> and Keenan, a great, great athlete threw the ball really well. And we practiced it. Probably we got down to San Diego and, and, and we, I know we practiced it at least once every day in practice, you know, we're down there all week and it was literally every single day where I'd run out the back, you know, the backside on that, on that wheel route and Keenan would overthrow me because I was so slow. I could not catch. I keep, he, the first time and it was like 15 yard overthrow. And, and then it was like seven and then it was like three. And it's, it's like, he, he almost said, I remember him saying like, I can't throw it backwards. Like I, I'm throwing the ball down the field. And Tedford's like, look, the last day of practice in our walkthrough, he said, I don't care if you have to shot put this thing over to me. Just show me that you can throw it over there and he can catch it. So I kid you not, he, you know, we ran the play, threw it over. I stopped on the field. I was like, hey, Keenan, threw me the ball, caught it. Good. I'm going to call it, Tedford says. I didn't know when, or he said, I'm going to call it for, you know, once we get inside, you know, your, your yardage. So he calls this play. And I don't know if you remember the old Jack Murphy stadium, you know, which became Qualcomm. They had this mm. row of lights. Oh that were, you know, cause they kind of had that flat, but they had the upper lights, but they had this intermediate row of lights that as a, you know, I was never a receiver and it never bothered me because my eyes were always this way. But as you're a receiver trying to look back, I took off on this run and started just, you know, just get on my horse as fast as I could. And I see, look back and see Keenan throw this thing and it goes up, it goes up and boom, I lose it in the lights. And now it's up and I see my hand out. So imagine like running, running, running. I know this ball is going to come down somewhere. And so I just keep running. And at the last second, boom, I see it come down and just stuck my hands out. So here's what I'll say. That catch, whew, that was a fingertip. That was as athletic a catch as you will see. It didn't, it wasn't pretty like form, but in terms of like, on your fingertips, you know, boom, soft hands, bring it in. What happened after that was like one of the most grotesque stumble bumble. And I still like, you know how you have these things burned into your mind? Yes. Like that one moment, I very clearly remember saying to myself, just don't fall down. Just don't fall down. And it was just stumble, stumble, stumble. I saw the pylon and I just said, that's it. Ugh. And I quit. <laughs> So there's, uh, there's your, uh, there's your brilliant. See what happens with these stories though, is like, you've got this thing built up in your mind. Like, Oh man, this is a great iconic thing in, in school history. And then you actually hear the story. And it's like, man, that kind of sucked. And you didn't really, you got lucky, man. So I don't want to burst too many bubbles, but I'll be honest. Okay. I'll, I'm happy to be as honest as you want. That's what we do on this show. We burst a lot of bubbles, don't we, Sam? <laughs> We're usually bursting bubbles. And honestly, the burst is usually funnier than whatever the, uh, the actual dream of it is. So I, I kind of prefer the bubble to be burst anyways. <laughs> yeah. Moving on, though, Joey, you were able to play with, with a group of guys that I think is a really interesting group when you look at uh, Oregon rosters throughout history, just because you had such a, a mesh of guys that would 
go on to have great careers, do such great things, but also a lot of guys who were like local kind of under undervalued at a certain point. What is kind of that chip on the shoulder mentality that has to be had in a locker room like that, especially when you are on a team that, as you mentioned, was for so long a fourth uh, uh, on the back burner of the mind, if you will. Now you're coming into form. Things are starting to come into place. Nike's just becoming a factor. It's starting to become interesting. That group of guys, the way that you were able to maneuver season to season, what was it like just to be there with those guys day in and day out? Yeah, you're right. It, it was an interesting group of, of guys. Um, you know, our starting center in the Holiday Bowl was a walk-on. Our starting defensive tackle in the Fiesta Bowl against the best rushing attack in all college football in Colorado was a walk-on. You know, we had we had some great players. And, and I'll say it, we kind of caught lightning in a bottle, right? You know, that mix of of guys that wanted to make a commitment to the program, the, the, the guys that said, you know what, I believe in this and, and I want to make it work, um, you know. And then we had those guys that played roles. And we were lucky because we stayed healthy, right? That, that, that was one of the things left is, or, or one of the things is that you don't have a lot of depth in those situations. But what, what really worked is that those talented guys, the Rashad Bowmans, the Sammy Parkers, the Keenan Howries, they saw how the guys like Chris Tetterton and Justin Peel, they saw how they worked. They saw Jeff Austin. They saw Phil Finzer. They saw Ryan Schmidt, you know, guys that Josh Line, you know, walk on from Springfield, fullback, literally put his face into the pile every single day for us on uh, fullback and special teams, catches the ball in the flat on fourth down against UCLA, literally saves our season. When you have guys like that working in conjunction with those guys who are so incredibly talented, it brings the level of both up. It, it, it actually raises the level of talent of the, the not as talented guys. And it raises the work ethic of those guys who've gotten by on their ability for so long. It was, it was catching lightning in a bottle. It, it, it truly was, um, you know, and, and some of it has to be, you know, the transfers, you know, once, once Saladin McCullough left, um, we, we didn't really have a tailback. Right. Or excuse me, not Sally. After Ruben Drones left, uh, we didn't really have a tailback because Ruben transferred in and took Sally's place. And then, you know, Maurice Morris from South Carolina comes on over and, and then Ontario Smith comes in and you just kind of put those pieces together and you made it work. And, and that was what was so great about our team is we weren't, we weren't four and five star guys, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a matter of simply just doing the right thing. It'll work out. It was a matter of having to put those pieces together in the right way to make it, to make it function. Right. And then, all right, we got it. We got it moving. Now let's believe that we can actually do it. Definitely. And you talk a lot about those key pieces and over the years, obviously they've changed a ton, but now it's uh, four and five star guys out there that we've seen and coming off a hard Stanford loss. What do you think this current team needs to do to pull everyone together and start getting things back in the right direction? Turn the page and do your job. I mean, it's really, it's really simple when you look at it. There's nothing you can do. Go backwards. Can't change it. 
you, you can't you can't change anything that happened before now. All you can do is make the best of the opportunity you have going forward. And the way you do that is to do the things that you're coached to do, right? A lot of the reasons that Oregon has ended up in the positions that they have is because people have people have missed assignments. Right? People have missed the basic things. People have missed, you know, play your keys, make your read, go through your progression, um, you know, find your hole, whatever it is, right? We've missed that piece. It was all working together against Ohio State. And it was just, it was just perfect. But in all of our other games, there have been pieces that have, that have been missing. And there's simple things to fix in theory. Um, you, you just got to do it. I mean, there, there's no magic. There's no magic potion. <laughs> you know, you can sit there and dwell on what happened and say, oh, man, you know, we had a, what we could have done. You know, done. Turn the page. Move on. You got, you got, you're lucky you got a bye week right now get through those emotions, come back and ready to come back, ready to do your job because this, this team is talented enough to win the North. This team is talented enough to go win the conference. So long as everybody does their job. Joey, we want to get you out of here. We know you're a busy guy. It almost seems at this point that we've been talking so much. We might have to get you back again at some point, definitely soon, just because there is a lot still to talk about. But I guess the last thing I have to ask you is, when can Duck fans expect to see you on the sideline of an Oregon game again? Just visiting, visiting Austin <laughs> Stadium, seeing you in the, uh, seeing you in some green and yellow and beautiful Eugene, Oregon. Not for a while. <laughs> yeah, these guys are uh, unfortunately going to be my life for a while. Um, I would love to be back there as soon as possible. I'm, I'm hoping, uh, I'm definitely thinking that I'll make it down next year. Um, but I'm going to be living on those crutches pretty much through all of football season. So. You know, Nick, it's uh, don't get old, right? Yeah. No, it <laughs> sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I felt good a few years ago and then uh, everything starts falling apart. Even when you don't, you know, you, when you feel like you've, you've taken pretty good care of it. Um, yeah, I, I will be there. I, and, and because it's such a special place, like Autzen is just, it's just different. I mean, it really is. It's, it's not the, you know, I've been in, in Death Valley at LSU. I've been to games at, at Jordan here and uh, at Auburn. Um, you know, I, I've been in Lambeau and all every NFL stadium. Austin's just different. It is. And any kind of, anytime I can make my way back there, it's, uh, it's definitely on the top of my list, but step one is just walking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we wish you the best in your recovery, but in the meantime, what do you have going? How can people find you? How can yeah. people reach out and watch it? Yeah, so we, uh, thanks, but we, we are actually rebooting Talking Ducks. So we had a, t a great 10-year run on NBC Sports Northwest, um, and that network has come to a close. And so Jordan Kent and I said, you know what? It's time for us to take over. So we have actually taken over ownership of the show. We're going to be on CW in the entire state. Um, it, it's going to vary depending on what your, your region is um, or what your, your TV market is. Uh, Portland, I believe it's Tuesday evenings, um, Eugene, maybe Wednesdays, but we're in Portland, Eugene, Medford, Bend, TV markets all on the CW. And if you don't, you know, you can set your DVR. If you don't get it, um, which I think everybody does, uh, you can always get it on our YouTube channel or come to our website, talkingducks.com. Um, 
gosh, you know, what, what am I missing? It's, uh, it's me and Jordan and Anthony and uh, Aaron Fentress, who you got to have a reporter in there. Everybody thinks he's just this villain. Hey, <laughs> he calls it straight. All right. He call he's, he's, he's unbiased. And some people don't, you know, on a duck show, some people want you to be a little biased, but we'll, we'll leave that up to Anthony. He's the Homer. He's the Homer of the group. So um, I kind of try to stay somewhere right in, the, right in the middle of those two and try and break them up. But yeah, every, uh, every week for the next 30 weeks. So it's going to be, a, it's going to be a long run, a lot longer than we were doing, but uh, it's going to be fun. So uh, check it out. We'll, I'll be on Twitter all about it. Perfect. Yeah. We love Jordan on the show. He's been one of our best guests that we've had so far at probably second next to only yourself. So, Thank you again for coming on, Joey, and for being one of the best Duck ambassadors of all time. Well, my pleasure. And truly, any anytime, I'm happy to come back. Well, once a duck, always a duck. Thank okay. you. Well, man, uh, probably our longest interview ever, and I think we could have kept going if Joey didn't have uh, other things he had to get to. But, man, we'll have to have Joey back. And uh, I guess uh, not much more to say from that. I mean, uh Wow, Sam, what, what did you take first and foremost from that? I know we probably got like six questions in there, but we got the best answers I can remember us ever getting. I mean, Joey Harrington is an extremely talented man. He It's very rare you can find somebody who can throw a football at a professional level and can also give you a conversation of that degree, and I'll give him a lot of credit. That was a lot of fun to be able to talk to him. Big hero, obviously. Anybody who grew up a Duck fan, they look up to Joey Harrington. So that was yeah. awesome. Yeah, I hope you guys all check out the new iteration of Talking Ducks. And uh, yeah, even though Aaron Fentress is there, uh, still check it out. You know, you can uh, can rag on him, too. He loves that when you guys hit him up on Twitter. I know that. He feeds off it. Can't you tell? Come on. <laughs> those he doesn't have muted or blocked, that is. Sorry. Sorry for those of you. I know. I know we have a few followers that definitely are. And we, I still, no we still appreciate you. And we never do that to you unless you say Michael Dyer was down. down. He was down. We might he was click, anyhow, nick, click. <laughs> anyhow nick um there is no oregon football game this weekend yeah that won't be occurring yeah there are a lot of other oregon sports though oh yeah and it is very rare that during the fall we're ever able to give a shout out to too many other teams just because a lot of our audience wants to hear about football we want to talk about football it's the biggest thing going on obviously but oregon's got some very very talented teams right now that are doing a lot of really really good work First of all, I'm just going to start Oregon volleyball. Really, really good team led by Brooke Nunaviller. They are just a fantastic ball club, 12 and two on the season. Coach Matt Ulmer, great guy, great conversation. He's also a heck of a volleyball coach. He's got that team doing some really big things. Well, and in the Pac-12, you have to be doing big things, uh, you know, in most of the women's sports. I mean, it's uh, competitive, and that's usually the teams competing at the top of, top of the nation. And, you know, when it comes down to uh, NCAA finals, it usually seems there's always at least one Pac-12 team there. So that's awesome to hear. I, I For not moving on too quick, I, I heard uh, there's a lot of hype around the uh, other women's program doing really well right now, the soccer team. Oregon soccer, they are six, one, and four. For those unfamiliar with soccer, that is six wins, one loss, four draws. That one loss came in a two-to-one defeat to Stanford, who happens to be one of the best programs in the country. This is another team that has been recently turned over to a new coaching staff that has done a phenomenal job building up this Oregon program. They have been really, really solid on the year. Both teams, by the way, they have upcoming games for volleyball. 
they play Friday. The Friday, well, this will come out for you non-VIP subscribers, which, by the way, you should subscribe to the VIP. Just, just letting you know you should. So there's non-VIP subscribers. California will be in Eugene October 8th. Then Stanford at noon, one of the biggest games of the year always. They will be playing the Ducks on October the 10th, a Sunday. Then you get a little Husky hate week a little early on. October 14th, the Washington Huskies are in town for a Thursday night game. That'll be a really fun one. Thursday night match, that'll be really fun. And then Washington State on October 17th, another Sunday, another noon first first serve. I'm going to call it a first serve. Hmm. Right there, that'll be also be a noon. That'll be a lot of fun. And for Oregon soccer, definitely check them out as well. They've got some big-time matchups coming up as well. Arizona coming up this Thursday, October the 7th, 7 p.m. On the 10th, again, Sunday, they'll have Arizona State in town. And then they will play USC, another really high-profile team, October 14th, a Thursday. Definitely get tickets to any of those events you can go support those women out there. They are some phenomenal athletes. It's always amazing to be able to go watch them perform. They're some of the most fun teams you'll find anywhere in the nation, but especially here in Eugene. Well, and I mean, you know, give them a plug of what it's like to go because uh, I know uh, we've had to schedule some podcasts around your uh, obvious fan attendance and uh, you being the fanatic you are and a leader of the pit crew. What's it like, not just being a student there, but just being a regular fan in attendance. It is so much fun. First and foremost, these are two sports that don't translate on television the way they do in person. That's just a fact. Volleyball in person is one of the most fun games to watch just because when you really get a set that's going back and forth, there's a specific volley that's just going back and forth and back and forth across the net, that energy is rising. It's one of those crazy sports where you can just feel the tension moving up slowly but surely until finally it breaks and either an explosion of cheers or a complete letdown, but then it's right back to it again. One of the most fun sports to check out in person, especially if you're able to get down to that student section. It is so fun and crazy down there when you're cheering, yelling, whooping. Also, the soccer, phenomenal place to watch a match over at Pape Field. Really, really enjoy being able to go over there. Great facility, a really, really fun team that that honestly, for a lot of years, a lot of people accused Oregon soccer of playing, as you mentioned, a lot of games kind of not to lose. Now they are playing a lot of games to win, and it is so much fun. Well, another program that plays to win and doesn't get talked about as much because they aren't an official NCAA team yet. But one team I've got to plug, especially since, you know, me being a big Kraken fan with my other podcast. Oregon Ducks hockey team, uh, their schedule release, they've gotten their team together and they play uh, this Friday when this episode is dropping against Cal down in Medford and they play again Saturday night in Medford. So highly recommend you go check them out and go check out the rest of the schedule at uh, OregonDucksHockey.com because, man, that's a fun team to watch. I know the last time I got to catch them was 2019 up here, the I-5 Cup and uh, getting to whoop the Huskies. I know I'll I'll hopefully get to see them again here pretty soon because there's nothing like a hockey match, man. Even though you don't quite get the fan turnout because it's not an official it's an NCAA event, man. These guys still put it all out there. They have some fantastic skaters, and uh, you're definitely going to see some pucks go through the net. I'll guarantee you that. One more shout-out to give both the men and the women's side. Oregon golf, they've looked good so far this fall. I'm not, it, it's a fun, it is fun to keep up with them. It's fun to see what they're doing. And also, if you got the time, go hit a cross-country meet. Why not? 
hell we're hitting all the bases today i think joey harrington's got us in that uh that festive duck mood we're hitting all the bases man and i i am so happy that we have this right now especially on the bye week everybody's got you know a lot of void to fill without uh football and hopefully not too much time is spent on this stanford loss because man there's a lot going on a lot to be happy about as a duck and and no it's always a good time to be a duck but right now pretty special it definitely is nick before we get out of here, as always, we got to plug everything. Follow him at just follow 61 anywhere and everywhere on the social medias. You can find me at Samuel101TS anywhere and everywhere all over the social medias. Follow at Once a Duck, like, subscribe, send it to all your friends, hit that share button as many times as you can, leave some reviews, leave some comments, get that engagement going. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, as always, thank you again to our VIPs. Uh, we plan to list you guys now that uh, the official inaugural group that we had in uh, September, you've all donated and we thank you for that. We've raffled this off and contacted the, the winner at this point so we can coordinate sending that to you. And uh, we'll still have a VIP program. If you want to donate $5 or more, you will still get the episode a little bit early, but not as soon as it goes up. You will get it the morning it goes live. That is uh, going to be a group we keep separate but you'll still be involved in all our raffles giveaways contests except for things that are just exclusive so i'm excited for that and then again that's cash app or venmo once a duck anything over five dollars gets you subscribed to our vip program and uh, if you already have just hit us up in the dms and make sure we've got you listed because uh you don't want to miss the premium content me and sam are sending uh on weekends particularly around the games because uh loved your video last week i thought that was good and then uh we've got i think we're gonna more. do more of those i think we're gonna start doing more of those as long as i'm at the stadium we're gonna start doing more of those <laughs> well and then while i'm at here you know which for uh i don't think i'm gonna go to aussies i think i'm gonna let that bad luck uh wear off for a little bit but i'll be right here uh and uh, we'll give you once a duck extra so even with this podcast here we'll tell you you a little bit more behind the scenes and uh, hope you guys enjoy that content and if not hey we hope you just uh, already subscribed to our regular youtube soundcloud apple podcast spotify everywhere you can find us we appreciate you give us that follow and share with your fellow ducks i know we've been hearing a lot of positive things when we go to the games and even at aussies i had someone recognize me and uh, just say hey man good stuff you're doing and it's all because of you guys and uh you know the feedback we get and the engagement we get we wouldn't do it if you guys weren't still coming here week after week for what we're putting out so thank you folks as always, we'll be back with you next week. Nick, why don't you read what's on the wall behind you and we can get out of here. I believe, my friend, it says once a duck, always a duck. Go Ducks and uh, enjoy the bye week, everyone.